It's Friday night. What places are you heading to for post-work happy hour? Tell us. This podcast is making a best of the best list and needs recommendation for happy hour menus at restaurants in KC. Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. The Kansas City Library is hosting a panel of Indigenous Nations poets at 6 this evening at the Central Library to discuss the idea of poetry as reciprocity and the language back movement. The event is co-sponsored by the Association of Writers and Writing Programs to encourage active engagement with indigenous languages. Kimberly Blazer is here to tell us how we can celebrate indigenous poetry in a world of climate crisis and perpetuate the teachings of Native communities. She's the past Wisconsin Poet Laureate and founding director of Indigenous Nations Poets. She's also the author of six poetry collections, including the newly released volume Ancient Light. She's also an, an enrolled member of the White Earth Nation. Kimberly, welcome. So good to have you here on Up to Date. Thank you so much for having me. It's well, I mentioned you. Thank you. You've authored these six poetry collections. You served as the Wisconsin Poet Laureate and founded Indigenous Nations Poets. What is that? What is Indigenous Nations Poets? So Indigenous Nations Poets is a national poetry organization and was created really to mentor emerging writers because even though there's a lot more opportunities for for Indigenous people, there's still a gap for... um, writers of indigenous ancestry when they enter the publishing world or when they go through creative writing programs. So it's a space where they can simply write and not have to explain their history, explain Mm. their aesthetic. And the goals of the group? Are to support emerging writers, but also to advance indigenous literature past, present, and future, to make opportunities for writers, to get it um, closer to the public. Now, we've talked in here in recent weeks. It seems to me that uh, Native American peoples are having something of a moment right now. There's more curiosity. There's more interest in uh, from others in exploring and learning more about this. Are you sensing the same thing? It, there, it, I believe you're correct. There, there seems to be waves of that, and yeah. we're in one of those peak waves right yeah. now. Um, have you fostered a community for your members? Is that what you do in the group? Absolutely. Is, so yeah. part of what we do is we hold an annual mentoring retreat, which is a week long. Yeah. And the first one was at the Library of Congress when oh, Joy wow. Harjo, who's Muskogee Creek, was our U.S. Poet Laureate. So we were able to be with her there in that setting in the largest library in the world mm-hmm. and to also show the poets, these you know emerging poets, that they have a place in the world of literature. Wow. Where did you get your start and, and why poetry? Why poetry is always a great question. I'm, as I, you know, you said, I'm from White Earth Reservation and I grew up really among storytellers and Mm. song makers, and so I think I inherited it. It came to me quite naturally. I did um, begin writing quite early because I was a shy child, and it was one of my avenues. And then I um, navigated through the educational system, did a PhD at Notre Dame, 
and almost against my will went into the academy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm wondering, what are some of the primary themes that you continue returning to in your writing and in your educational work? I imagine there are several here. Absolutely. And one of them is that you know, tapping into the ancient wisdom of indigenous people, the traditional indigenous knowledge has a place for us right now in this very difficult time with climate um, Absolutely. change. And also just to, you know, a lot of the stories of indigenous people were not told because people were simply trying to survive. So to make sure that Native stories have a place and that there's an opportunity to share those teachings as well as the history, which wasn't always presented yeah. um, as we believe it happened. <laughs> I bet there are any number of times when you wish you could go back to being a little girl again and listen to those stories and maybe remember some that maybe have slipped your mind over the years. Absolutely. Just being in that sort of community is was quite amazing because we lived off the grid and um, I spent a lot of time with you know, an extended family where Anishinaabe Moen was the first language. I mentioned this language back movement in the introduction. That might be a new phrase to a lot of people. It's also referred to as land back. Explain what we're talking about there. What, what, what is sure. that? Sure. Actually, they're two different things. Land back is acknowledging the homelands of Native people that were taken through very um, difficult historical encounters, not yes. always um, above board. And so it's saying, return these lands to the original inhabitants, the, the people who from whom these lands were stolen. Mm -hmm. And I actually thought that it's important for us to acknowledge that part of our sovereignty is also in our languages. And languages were also stolen from Native people during the era of the boarding schools where they were forbidden to speak their own language. So there was actually linguicide. And so the idea that, you know, we know our language carries our culture, that it's embedded in the culture, that it has teaching, it has stories, it's connected to the places that we um, belong to. And so Language Back is making a similar kind of effort to revive and to um, make Native language more active again so that young people especially don't feel alienated from their cultures. And this has become a priority of yours, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's very recent. It's very recent. Yeah. How recent? So I started this movement, you know, less than a year ago. Hmm. We've been working, when we were at the Library of Congress in 2022, we had a panel with the young writers just talking about using your indigenous languages in your poetry and why they can do that, how that's important, what it does for them and their community. And then I just kept pondering it because that had the most impact. The writers became a little um, less fearful. They became very intense with this effort, and I thought how important it is. And it affects not only the poets who are doing the work, but when they perform their work, and they make mm. connections, they share not, not only the language, but the teachings of the language. So it's, it's very important, I think, and it's, it's growing. I thought, you know, we would kind of ease into this, but it's taken off. And to what extent do you remember your native language? So, as I said, I grew up in a family where my grandparents were indigenous language speakers. So Anishinaabe Moan was their original language. So I have the ear for that language. I have a lot of those early, you know, phrases and words. But then 
going through the educational system, not hearing it was very difficult. So I am, I consider myself sort of a language learner or reviver. So I have things that'll come back to me and I'll, you know, like be startled by what I remember, but I've always used the language to a certain degree, but I'm not fluent in the way that um, you, you want to describe that. Writing is the most difficult part for me because it was not a written language. Mm. So it's a more recent, um, there's a, there's now sort of a standard double vowel system that hadn't existed before. So now people are tending to write in the same way. Before we just wrote sort of how it sounded to us. And I, m- I imagine among elders, there's a real concern the language will be lost forever. That, Absolutely. That fear exists even today. Yes. And there's many efforts within tribal communities in on reservations, in tribal colleges, to use the language in teaching everything, science mm. especially, wow. but, you know, culture. So not to let it be simply like this sort of um, set aside little, I don't know, protected area. But, but a primary but, focus. Yes, because yeah. living languages are languages that we use. Yeah. We'll be right back. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. You're a member of the White Earth Nation. I know that's a Minnesota tribe, but can you add a little context for us? How many members are there and what does it mean for you to be one? Sure. Um, White Earth Reservation is in northwestern Minnesota. It's the largest in land um, of the reservations. And I, you know, I grew up there during an era when things were still um, being repressed. So a lot of my culture was really underground and Mm. and was a little bit secretive the way that we practiced it. But um, when there was an era in which, um, for example, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act happened, and suddenly we could have our ceremonies in public again. And so um, White Earth has had some of the most... um, it is most prolific in writers. It's always had like many writers that have come from there, which is kind of amazing. So that part of my culture was always quite lively. The you know the storytelling, the the writing, um, and White Earth also has the White Earth Land Recovery Project, which Winona Duke founded right. um, early on. It's has it's it's been a really hub of um, indigenous. Um, efforts to reclaim our rights, like hunting, fishing, and gathering yeah. rights, and so forth. I and mean, what a powerful idea, you know, a sad idea that you grew up in a culture that had to be repressed, suppressed. Mm. You know, I mean, that's really, really amazing to me. Yes, even, well, at school age, it became apparent that I needed to keep certain aspects of my own culture out of the classroom or yeah. secret. And so that was always a strain. 
um, it's a it's in a territory that's really rich water country. So a lot of my writing also draws from relationships to to the water, seasonal activities that we participated in. Um, so that is a part of the culture that continues ricing, sugar bushing, you know, harvesting and, fish. And awfully cold weather. <laughs> in <Yeah>. beautifully <laughs> cold weather, which I miss, miss now. You've also worked as an educator at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and at the Institute of American Indian Arts down in Santa Fe. Now you're here for the Poetry as Reciprocity event. Do you often travel to host talks about indigenous activism and, and writing? I do a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. I spent... Um, a, a week in France this fall um, with a book that had been bilingual there, published. But I, you know, do a lot of visiting of educational institutes, doing readings, just sort of trying to um, carry the stories of Indigenous people to a larger audience, but also to get the, you know, the connection to make a connection yeah. with young Indigenous people as well. Well, Indigenous Nations Poets uh, has hosted week-long retreats for the past two years for selected fellows. At last year's retreat, you produced two short films called Poems for a Tattered Planet, one of which featured a group poem from the fellows. Let's listen to a clip from this one. A poem for a tattered planet soars with thunderbird auroras. A poem for a tattered planet is permeable to healing. A poem for a tattered planet whispers in the umbers. So the application for this year's Rokita is open till February 15th. Tell us more about it and what participants can expect there. Sure. This year we're holding it in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, Mm. St. Paul of Mm -hmm. Minnesota, both at um, Open Book and at the Minnesota um, Humanities Center. And we have a lot of interesting things, including a tour of the spiritual areas of Mm. that region. But we're focusing on language back for this um, particular retreat. Last year was eco-poetry. So we have a special focus all the time. And we want to you know, kind of talk about the way that language is both a gift and a responsibility and why it's important to use it in our poetry, how that is both, um, we both learn and teach Indigenous languages when we write with them. And as I said, they also become a gift to the community. But if we receive language in a relationship with a landscape, with through ceremonies from our elders, et cetera, that's a gift to us that we return. Well, that's Kimberly Blazer, again, founding director of the Indigenous Nations Poets, former Wisconsin Poet Laureate. You can see her speak tonight at 6 at the Poetry as Reciprocity event. That'll be at the Kansas City Central Library. I wish we had more time. Thanks for coming in, Kimberly. Thank you for your questions. You bet. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Our intern is Lauren Texter. Paul Nakatura works our board. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening. Hollywood writers are obsessed with the concept of an asteroid heading towards Earth and destroying civilization. But is this something we really should be worried about? I'm Kate the Chemist, and on my podcast, Seeking a Scientist, we meet the mastermind behind a real-life mission to divert the path of an asteroid. Subscribe to Seeking a Scientist, made possible by the Starris Institute.